Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. Football is back in full swing. We're headed into week two, and Bet Online Sportsbook has all the odds, props, promos, and parlays that you need during this September. Use our promo code BLEAV, B-L-E-A-V, with the link in the description to this episode, and you can get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, where the game starts. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night. However, and whenever it is you may be listening, thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy podcast. Live on the Believe Podcast Network, except it isn't live because it is, as always, a podcast. You heard that music? It's our special, special NFL Monday music. We are back after eight months. It's NFL Monday here on the Take It Easy Podcast, where we just sit down, throw on the microphones, and take a wild trip around the world of football from the weekend. Our first full NFL Monday is upon us, and I'm excited to chat with y'all here today. We've got so much so much to cover here on today's show. The first NFL Monday of the season, and after everything from the offseason, with Kansas City losing to Detroit in Week 1, to the 49ers blowing out the Steelers, conversation around the Eagles and Dallas Cowboys, and everything that has gone on in the NFL offseason, I think the first place that we should begin the first NFL Monday, and by the way, it's kind of more of a football Monday because we're going to talk about Texas and Alabama later. Alabama lost. That was kind of crazy. We're going to chat about that. On the first football Monday of the season, I think there's only one appropriate place for us to start, uh, which is, of course, the biggest story coming out of the football weekend. How about them Atlanta Falcons? whooping the ass of the Carolina Panthers. How about it, Atlanta Falcons? Harry Douglas, Arthur Blank, Dante Fowler, Michael Vick, Devin Hester, Hayden Hurston, Caleb McGarry. Tack McKinley, Deion Sanders, Michael Turner, Grady Jarrett, Austin Hooper, Tevin Coleman, Tony Gonzalez. Work done, Brent Grimes, Kyle Pitts, Desher Font left, which Julio mascot has creepy eyes, Darren Holland, KZ, Gambling Calvin Ridley, AJ Terrell, Duron Harmon, Russell Gage, Vic Beasley, we're the Atlanta Falcons. We're always flying and we keep on trying. We're the Atlanta Falcons. We keep blowing leads, but we try to fight it. 
Steven, Jackson, Casey, Hayward, Dan, Quinn, and Shanahan, Jake, Matthews, Drake, London, Fabian, Moreau. Mike, Davis, Ito, Smith, Devonta, Freeman's Pro Bowl, Jockeys, Rogers, Asante, Samuel. Young Way, Dean Pease, Mike Smith had a winning team, Henry Crockett, Petrino, Mariota, Netflix, Deion Jones, Tajay Sharpcourt, Daryl is a running back, Chris Lindstrom, D'Angelo Hall, some dude named Zacchaeus, we're the Atlanta Falcons, we're always flying and we keep on trying, we're the Atlanta Falcons, we keep blowing leads but we try to fight it. Dirty Bird, bring it back, Roddy White and Alex Mack, all for Luke McCown, Super Bowl prostitutes, Justin Hardy, Matt Schaub, Atlanta Braves, baseball beat with an onside kick, Dirt Cutter's an idiot. Corey Peters, Richie Grant, Jesse Bates' contract, Bijan Mustard, Super Bowl's a no-go, Maddie Ice's MVP, Mike Pinnell, Matt Hennessy, Dwight Freeney, Toy Lolo, don't score that ball, Todd Gurley, we're the Atlanta Falcons, we're always flying and we keep on trying, we're the Atlanta Falcons, we keep blowing leads but we try to fight it. Hell yeah, Atlanta Falcons. Way to dominate that game from start to finish, all four quarters. Despite the fact that Desmond Ritter had negative 11 passing yards in the first quarter and also had negative six receiving yards, personally himself, in the first quarter. Despite the fact they dominated from start to finish against the Carolina Panthers and the Falcons are 1-0. Bijad Robinson beat two defenders to score a touchdown and then Tyler Algier stole his other two touchdowns and the Falcons got to play the perfect Atlanta Falcon game of Desmond, or I guess the perfect Arthur Smith game of Desmond Ritter is going to throw 20 passes and complete 18 of them, and 15 of them are going to be within five yards of the line of scrimmage. That's the perfect game plan. And then Tyler Algier and Bijan Robinson are each going to have 15 carries for 150 yards between the two of them, and the Falcons are going to grit out a 24-10 victory against the Panthers, where they imposed their will on offense and defense perfect Arthur Smith game that will not work against the other very good teams in the NFC. But when they play all of those crappy NFC South teams who all played like crappy NFC South teams today, they will have a chance. Which by the way, since we're just on the topic, we'll probably get to this later in our Philip Rivers Memorial Kirk Cousins Purgatory Award handout for week one. While we're on the topic, shout out to you Tampa Bay. Way to beat the Minnesota Vikings in Minnesota, week one of the season. They didn't play very well, but they still got the win, 20-17. Just a gross, ugly football game. Shout out to you, Tampa Bay. Way to get it done. I am proud of you, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Good job by you. So speaking of the Atlanta Falcons... This is a seamless transition into one other topic I wanted to uh, touch on here. Two years ago when we were doing these uh, these Football Monday episodes, um, we dedicated uh, basically 25 minutes of an entire week's episode to talking about this Calvin Ridley situation where Calvin Ridley 
left the Falcons for what he deemed to be mental health reasons. And then three weeks later, we find out that while he was on his leave from the team, he ended up gambling and getting caught gambling. And it led to a one-year suspension for Calvin Ridley. Then Calvin Ridley kind of got forgotten about for a while and then traded to the Jaguars and what was like the most convoluted pick protection of all time. It was like if Ridley plays 60% of the snaps, it's a third round pick. And if he gets a thousand yards, it's a second round pick. And if he gets nothing, then it's a sixth round pick. And if there's playing 50% of the snaps, then it's a fifth round pick. And if they sign him to an extension, it's a fourth round pick. It's a really convoluted, complicated transaction that the Jaguars and the Falcons had around Calvin Ridley because no one really knew what Calvin Ridley was going to be coming back from not playing a football game since October of 2021, being essentially outcast by the Falcons organization like the Falcons held on to him after the gambling suspension but they never had the intention of bringing him back and it was such a unique situation and something that piqued my curiosities it's not something that has like a profound impact on the football Sunday but it was just a story that had piqued my curiosities ever since he first um, said on a Sunday morning basically right before a Falcons game like he was stepping away from the team to focus on his mental well-being, which is something you never hear in that sport. You never get that, where the player steps away in the middle of the season to take care of his mental well-being, whatever that may be. And not only one, do we not ask questions, but two, the story kind of goes away after a couple weeks. And it became clear by like after the gambling suspension was announced, they were never going to bring Calvin Ridley back. And it was such a unique, weird situation in the first year of Arthur Smith. And now somehow we're in year three of Arthur Smith, even though I thought Arthur Smith was going to get fired after two seasons with the Falcons as he went on this weird quest to like reassemble the 2019 Titans who never, ever threw the football any time in their careers and then wanted to draft all of these offensive linemen and then uh, it was just a very it was a very strange setup the Falcons had but they just made the call hey first round pick Calvin Ridley we're just ready to move on from him at this point regardless of consequence and they eventually found a trade it was a convoluted complicated trade Ridley goes to the Jaguars kind of gets forgotten about even after the trade because it was a tr- it was a big trade deadline trade but because Ridley wasn't going to play no one really talked about that move for a while and then we woke up and Calvin Ridley was playing his first game in the NFL in almost 2 years I mean it's been 23 months and he had a touchdown in the first quarter 100 yards on the game And it was him as the number one receiver for a Jacksonville Jaguars team that looks like it's going to be able to put up points against anybody. And that doesn't necessarily mean the Jaguars are going to be one of the best teams in the NFL. It just means the Jaguars have one of the 10 best offenses in the NFL. And having an above average offense led by Calvin Ridley as your wide receiver one, led by Trevor Lawrence as your quarterback who completed 75% of his passes for 250 yards, two touchdowns, and one interception. We call that the Drew Brees special out here uh, and a Matt Ryan special. The Matt Ryan special is 250 yards, two touchdowns, one interception. 
uh, and that's what Trevor Lawrence put up at the end of that game against the Colts, and they scored 31 points. If they were playing a better defense than the Colts, they probably would have scored 24, and if they average 24 points a game in this NFL, the Jaguars are going to be one of the 10 best offenses in the NFL, so... Calvin Ridley being the number one receiver on that Jaguars team is something that piqued my curiosities today. And as I was scrolling through that first block of red zone games, I saw that Jaguars and Colts game pop up. I saw Calvin Ridley score a touchdown. I saw Zay Jones have an awesome tiptoeing touchdown catch. Uh, It was just a really interesting game to, to follow along with. And Uh, the Jaguars look like they're going to be a very good team this year. Them and Detroit are the two teams that was kind of like pumping the brakes on whether they'd be able to continue the success they had in the second half of last season. And so far, the results bear it out pretty well that the Lions are going to be able to move the ball forward against even very good defenses this season. And the Jaguars are going to be able to score points against even very good defenses this year, which is the thing you could push back on at the end of the year for the Jaguars. And Jacksonville is probably going to be one of the five teams at the end in the AFC who we have to talk about as playoff implications because someone has to make it out of the pyramid scheme AFC South. Uh, But Jacksonville is the only one that's going to be above average in any category this year. The Texans are not going to be above average in any category. The Colts are not going to be above average in any category. The Titans kicked five field goals today against the Saints. Ryan Tannehill had the worst QBR of any quarterback not named Joe Burrow in the NFL this week. It was absolutely shocking to see. The the Titans kick five field goals and somehow still have a chance to beat the New Orleans Saints. That whole game was just slop, just crappy football. I made the joke on Twitter, imagine waiting eight months to get the NFL back. If you're one of those fans who like, rides or dies with your team and is excited about football Sundays and does the 50 days till kickoff, 40 days till kickoff, 30 days till kickoff. If you're one of those fans and then you get to the first game and the only game you have on your local television is Titans and Saints and that sloppy-ass game where Derek Carr had no touchdown passes, one interception, Less than 170 yards. His passer rating was in the 60s. And he was looking like, oh, wow, Derek Carr, not as bad as last year. Because comparatively, Ryan Tannehill couldn't do shit, shit against that Saints defense. It was awful football. And the reason I brought that up is the Titans are going to be bottom half in the league in offense, bottom half the league in defense. The Colts are going to be bottom half in the league offense, bottom half the league defense. Texans, we saw what happened against the the Baltimore Ravens. Just inability to move the ball at all on offense. By the way, C.J. Stroud wasn't even terrible. Like Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud, I feel very similarly coming out of. Like The numbers will not look very good. Their teams did not score a lot of points. However, they did not embarrass themselves. That's something that I think you can take away as a positive. Those two quarterbacks, Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, did not embarrass themselves in their first NFL games. Bryce Young showed 
clearly belongs in the NFL as a starting quarterback. The Panthers are just going to be not very good this year because they don't have very much talent on their team. The Texans are going to be very bad this year because they are the Texans, and they are in year four of a five-year rebuild, the first five-year rebuild ever undertaken because that's how terrible Bill O'Brien and Jack Easterby, the team pastor, left that franchise when they traded away all their draft picks, gave away their star players to the Cardinals in DeAndre Hopkins and J.J. Watt, and then saw their franchise quarterback go to Cleveland amidst all of the sexual, sexually predatory behavior that he was engaging in. The Houston Texans are going to be very bad this year. And so all of this is a long-winded way of saying the Jacksonville Jaguars are going to have a top-half offense in the NFL led by Calvin Ridley as their number one receiver, a player who hadn't played in 23 months. But because they have him, and because they have Evan Ingram, and because they have Jamal Agnew, and because they have Christian Kirk, who didn't have a very good first game, but because they have Christian Kirk, and because they have Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne, the Jaguars will have a top-half offense in the NFL this year, and that top-half offense will be good enough to win the Pyramid Scheme AFC South. Shout out to the Miami Dolphins. Last year, they came out the gate and just started dominating the NFL, running rough shot over Baltimore with three touchdowns in six minutes and starting 3-0, and and they were the darlings of the NFL. Shout out to you, Miami, for just thoroughly entertaining us because this is the thing about NFL Sundays everyone talks about how awesome the NFL Sunday is especially when you haven't seen it in eight months it's a big deal for people who really love the NFL NFL red zone absolutely fantastic no complaints it's an ideal dare I say perfect broadcast no notes no changes it's excellent Scott Hansen all the way the thing about it though is there are 13 NFL games on the Sunday slate And the thing that I've learned over four years of, well, now, sorry, five years now of doing this podcast and covering the NFL, over a decade of my life watching the NFL Red Zone, the thing that I have learned is that while it may sound exciting to have 13 NFL games broadcast in front of you, nine to ten of them are usually shit. Entertaining, yes. Exciting, yes. Usually not in the same combination. Because a lot of these games are A, bad football. B, blowouts, because it's one very good team against one very bad team. Or three, get lost in the shuffle because it's NFL Red Zone. We gotta stick on the games that are most important. And so, in the midst of watching Dolphins and Chargers 
have this awesome football game, in the midst of watching Eagles and Patriots have this awesome football game, we just kind of forget about the fact that the Los Angeles Rams ran rough shot over the Seattle Seahawks in the second half. Because it's just impossible to follow everything all at once. So usually, there's about 9 to 10 of the games on the red zone that are not entertaining, not exciting, are blowouts, or just get lost in the shuffle because we got to prioritize other stuff. Case in point today, Texans versus Ravens. I don't know how to do Texans versus Ravens analysis. A lot happened. We already talked about CJ Stroud earlier. J.K. Dobbins tore his Achilles in the middle of that game. Because it was 25-9, to it got lost in the shuffle of the NFL Week 1. But it was a very entertaining game. Lamar Jackson threw an interception in the red zone at the beginning of the game that may be a signal of bigger things to come, but the result was never in question because the Houston Texans are dog shit terrible. There's usually 9-10 to 10 games that are meh in the red zone slate. One of the three that comes through is ideally entertaining, has stakes and drama at the end, is, is prominently featured in the quote-unquote witching hour of Red Zone, and is involved with two teams that are actually really good. Dolphins, uh, it's what we call stakes, storylines, entertainment, drama, and action. Those are our five-star scale for a good sporting event. Do we get stakes? Do we get storylines? Do we get entertainment? Do we get drama? And do we get action at the end? Dolphins Chargers, dare I say, was like a four and a half star game. That game was fucking awesome. Tua Tagovailoa, shout out to you. 466 passing yards, three touchdowns, one interception, multiple touchdown passes that were just beautiful to watch. And that's something I haven't been able to say as much with Tua because I haven't been the biggest Tua believer of all the people. I've watched the Tua tape. I've watched the incredible plays that he put up against the Texans and the Ravens and occasionally uh, before the concussions became the conversation around Tua. Tua was legitimately exciting last year. Legitimately exciting to watch. And they came back this year with a healthy Tua. With Terry Killback, with Jalen Waddleback, they added Cedric Wilson into the rotation. They now had a running game that was respectable, because the thing I said last year and was very much right about is, I don't think a team with Miles Gaskin as their top running back is a team that has any kind of competent running game. No matter how much you believe in Mike McDaniel's zone running schemes, no matter how much you believe in the 49er system being able to create lanes for running backs, and how the 49ers were able to just take any generic running back, insert them, and make them a 150-yard rusher. Whether it was Tevin Coleman, Matt Breida, Elijah Mitchell, Jeff Wilson, Tevin Coleman again, Raheem Mostert, whatever generic running back you want to insert into the 49ers system that they turned into a star, I didn't believe that was going to happen with the Dolphins, and it didn't happen with the Dolphins until they revamped their running back room, brought in uh, Jeff Wilson Jr., brought in Raheem Mostert, moved on from Chase Edmonds, which I believe the running back room to start last year was Chase Edmonds, Miles Gaskin, and Salvin Ahmed. And it's now Jeff Wilson Jr. and Raheem Mostert and Salvin Ahmed. And the running back room transformed and just totally changed at the back half of the season. So the Dolphins now with a respectable running game with Tyree Kill, with Jalen Waddle, with a healthy Tua. They put the fucking beat down on the Chargers. Beat down on the Chargers defense. 
There, every time the Chargers had a punch, it was, here's a 30-yard completion to Tyreek Hill. There was one play where the Dolphins had the ball in the middle of the field. They completed a drag route to Jalen Waddle, and Waddle hits the edge past, I want to say it was J.C. Jackson and a linebacker for the Chargers. I can't remember who the linebacker was, but he just caught the ball in the drag. Turned back up. He's probably got about a three-yard completion right now. Turned the corner on J.C. Jackson, a former All-Pro corner, who obviously has been bad with the Chargers, but a former All-Pro corner, and uh, one of the linebackers for the Chargers. And he burst up scene, turned a three-yard catch into a 25-yard catch on a play that I'm convinced only Jalen Waddell could have turned into that type of completion. Not even Tariq Hill, because the thing Tariq Hill does is he runs backwards in order to get away with people. I have not seen a receiver run backwards more than Terry Kill. And that does that lead to negative five-yard completions sometimes? Yeah, it does. It happened in the Dolphins-Charger game where they ran a screen pass to Terry Kill, tried to run backwards to pick up yards, led to negative five. You know what they did on the next play? It was third and 15. And this was the, uh, this was the drive that set up the game-winning touchdown for the Dolphins. Tariq Hill caught a screen pass, ran backwards for a negative five-yard play. And we'll get back to the Waddle play in a second. But Tariq Hill... Caught the ball, ran backwards, negative five yards. You know what they did on the next play? Threw a 17-yard completion on a rope to Braxton Berrios. Braxton Berrios on the sideline. Tua put it on a rope to Berrios, who slid and caught the ball right as his knee was getting ready to go out of bounds. Perfectly executed play call. Tua scrambling to buy time. Hitting Berrios at exactly the yardage they needed to pick up the first down, and the Dolphins moved the chains just as they did every play and every game against the Chargers. And by the way, Tua had an awesome stat line. The advanced numbers suggest wasn't as amazing as you thought it was. I mean, Tua's uh, Tua's QBR in this game, I'm just going to confirm it real quick for you. I saw it back in the fourth quarter, but I did not follow up on what it was at the end. Oh, while I'm looking that up, the Waddle play. So, uh, I think only Jalen Waddle was the receiver in the NFL who could have turned that three-yard completion into a 25-yard completion in the first half. It was one of the more impressive plays that didn't look impressive that I've seen, and maybe that's just because my brain hasn't quite been adjusted back to football yet. As I was saying before, Tua's passer rating, only 110, which, for those who don't know, the NFL average hangs out around... Uh, 91, which means Tua had a very, very above average game. But usually um, you see quarterbacks who have, this is a Pro Bowl caliber game for Tua. It was not this like, oh my gosh, he has 466 yards. The advanced numbers say this was a very good performance, but not an all-time great performance. Case in point, Russell Wilson had a 127 passer rating for the Broncos at halftime of that game against the Las Vegas Raiders. Now, the problem with that game was it was just slop, slop, and more slop. <laughs> they just Those two teams decided we just don't want to score points. Russell Wilson playing great. We just don't want to score points. And by the way, Russell Wilson at the end of the game, who had 177 passing yards and a stat line that looks relatively game-managed with 27 for 34, which, by the way, is an 80% completion percentage. So, shout out to you, Russell Wilson. 80% completion percentage, 177 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions, only took two sacks. That's 108 passer rating for Russell Wilson. 
Tua Tagovailoa had 110 passer rating in that game. All of this to say, Tua Tagovailoa balled the fuck out because Russell Wilson looked like slop and scored 16 points. Uh, the Broncos scored 16 points, looked totally unimpressive despite the fact that all the advanced numbers said that Russell Wilson was carving up the the Raiders defense and they still lost. Tua Tagovailoa balled the fuck out with 466 passing yards incredible throws on a rope 16 yards down the field to Braxton Berrios, hits Waddle in the middle of the field, motion in the offense in a way that it looked when they first got there last year, except it looks like they've had thousands of extra repetitions, thousands of repetitions back and forth and back and forth with Tua and Tariq Hill, Tua and Jalen Waddle, Tua and River Craycraft, which is a funny thing to say, but Tua and River Craycraft. Like, those guys, it looked like you had motion in the offense the same way it did last year, except now you had a respectable running game, and Raheem Mostert is the clear and concise number one on a team that is going to have a decent running game. It's not the atrocious running game that they had the last three years when it was Gaskin and Ahmed and... Uh, uh, who was I saying? Oh, Chase Edmonds for like six games before they traded him. Uh, it's not going to look like it's not going to look like that, but it's also not going to look like the 49ers running the football. It's somewhere in the middle. But it looked like a team that was able to incorporate motion in the offense the same way they did when Tua was healthy last year and Tariq Hill was um, one of the best, had second in the league in receiving yards and only behind Justin Jefferson and Jalen Waddell. The, the season last year, to put it in perspective, Tariq Hill and Jalen Waddell both set the Dolphins franchise receiving record for yards. In the same season, they both set the franchise record for receiving yards. It looked like that offense, incorporating motion, incorporating the Mike McDaniel zone running scheme, it looked like that offense except add thousands of extra repetitions. Because that last touchdown that Tua threw to Tariq Hill in one-on-one coverage, that was just a, we know where he his spot is going to be. It's one-on-one with the corner. Before Tariq Hill is even broken out of his route, that ball was up by Tua. The ball got snapped. Tua just took a two-step drop, threw the ball up. Tariq Hill had just cut to the right off the line of scrimmage. When the ball goes in the air, I'm watching a replay of it right now on that last touchdown. Tua, two-step drop, pauses. Tariq has his right foot to the right, making his move on number 43 for the Chargers. The ball is in the air. It drops right where Tariq Hill is supposed to go on that route. And that's one of those examples where it's like they incorporate motion into the offense. They're using the middle of the field more with Tua. It's like what the offense looked like at its best last year when they were scoring three touchdowns in six minutes against the Ravens, when they were beating the living crap out of the Houston Texans, when they beat the Buffalo Bills down in Miami in that like 95-degree day in week three. It looked like that offense again, add in thousands of repetitions and timing connected between Tua, Waddle, River, Craycraft, uh, even Raheem Mostert in that offense, and Mike McDaniel. And that last touchdown pass was a perfect example because the Dolphins were the most impressive team of the entire week. Like beyond Kansas City looking awesome besides the drop passes by Kadarius Toney and Sky Moore and all that stuff. Beyond Baltimore running rough shot over the Houston Texans. Like Miami was the best team in the NFL in week one. Again, it's week one. Better than the 49ers. Better than 
the better than even the Lions, you want to say, even though I don't think the Lions did anything like over the top remarkable. Best team, even the Rams who ran rough shot over the Seahawks, best team of the week, Miami Dolphins, hands down. And that offense was super fun to watch and super remarkable to see come together in real time because like even if the advanced numbers aren't going to say that Tua had this like all-time great game Tua balled the fuck out and it was great to watch and I am really excited to see where they go next with this because they play at New England on Sunday night next week then they get home opener against the Broncos defense and then they have to play at Buffalo I'm super excited to see what this Dolphins offense looks like over the next three weeks because the Chargers defense was pretty bad last year. I don't know if the Chargers defense was we're going to play like the worst defense in the NFL type of bad this year or if this is an anomaly. If Is this really good Dolphins offense? Is this really bad Chargers defense? Is it some combination of both? I got no idea. All I have to work on is one game sample size and the data from last year's Dolphins offense being very good and last year's Chargers defense being the team that gave up 28 points in the second half against Trevor Lawrence and the Jaguars and didn't add any players in the offseason. Like, they, they subtracted from the defense that gave up 31 second-half points to the Jaguars in the playoffs and two years ago had the worst rushing defense in the history of the NFL. So... I don't know how bad the Chargers defense is. I don't know how good the Dolphins offense is yet. There's just not a large enough sample size. But the sample size is going to start to come in for the Dolphins very quickly because I'm curious to watch them play at Patriots on Sunday Night Football, home against the Broncos, and then at the Buffalo Bills. That's three defenses that we're pretty sure are good. Pretty sure the Patriots, Broncos, and Bills defenses are pretty good. Dare I say they were all top 10 defenses last... Dare I say they were all top 5 defenses in the league last year. If you don't want to say top 5, we'll say top 10. They were 3 of the 10 best defenses in the NFL. Maybe 3 of the 5 best defenses in the NFL last year. And they are the Dolphins' next 3 matchups with 2 road games. And I'm very excited to watch this Dolphins' offense again because they were so much fun to watch on Sunday against the Chargers. All right, everybody. It's that time of the week to bring back our Philip Rivers Memorial Kirk Cousins Purgatory Award for the third season in a row. We are keeping track of the quarterbacks who find themselves uh, in what we have affectionately called Philip Rivers Memorial, Kirk Cousins Purgatory. What is Philip Rivers Memorial, Kirk Cousins Purgatory? I'm so glad that you asked, new listener to the show. Um, so here's the thing. Uh, Philip Rivers used to be the quarterback of the Chargers, and for years the joke was always that the Chargers found themselves down six, no timeouts, with two minutes to play, and needing to go the length of the field. And then after Philip Rivers retired, that became Kirk Cousins' mantle to save, where Kirk Cousins for years with the Vikings was always down by six points. And it could be four, it could be six. There's never a perfect Kirk Cousins purgatory situation. Um, When we first started bringing this bit back two years ago, uh, Kirk Cousins started the season 
uh, looking at the all-time record. One, two, three, four, five of the first six weeks of the season, Kirk Cousins found himself down six, no timeouts, one minute to play, needing to go the length of the field. And every single week, they might win, they might lose, but it really more so is about being in the state of purgatory. And that's what we honor with this award. You might win, you might lose, but for the most part, you're going to find yourself down four, no timeouts, one minute to play, and needing to go 80 yards. And this week, Kirk Cousins did find himself in that exact position. Now, it wasn't a perfect Kirk Cousins purgatory situation because the defense couldn't hold Tampa Bay in the final two minutes of the game, but with two minutes to play and no timeouts and needing to go the length of the field, we found four minutes, two timeouts, needing to go the length of the field, down three. Kirk Cousins went into full Kirk Cousins purgatory mode, and they did not get it. They punted back to Tampa and then never saw the football again. So to you, Kirk Cousins, you started off the season strong for being Kirk Cousins, which is losing once again by being down three with two timeouts, two minutes to go. It was a valiant effort by you to once again kick off the season strong. Kirk Cousins, you shall be honored with our week one Kirk Cousins Purgatory Award. Examining the numbers here in the three seasons that we've been keeping track of this Kirk Cousins Purgatory Award, uh, Kirk Cousins had seven Purgatory Awards in 2021, seven of the 18 weeks of the season. Uh, In 2022, he had five, including the 33-point comeback against the Indianapolis Colts, the game against the Detroit Lions where they kicked a game-winning field goal, and the wild card game where he infamously or famously checked down on fourth down, trailing by four points to come back against the New York Giants. Maybe it was seven points. The point being, it was a one score game. They needed a touchdown. It was fourth and nine and Kirk Cousins checked down. So Kirk Cousins and the Vikings always in these one score games, always trailing by four, finding themselves in Kirk Cousins purgatory. Also, by the way, uh, opponents of Kirk Cousins have been in Kirk Cousins purgatory four times over the last two seasons as well. I made note of that. So in addition to the 12 times Kirk Cousins has found himself in Kirk Cousins purgatory, we also have four times in which his opponents have been in Kirk Cousins purgatory at the end of games. So starting off the season strong, Kirk, there was no true Kirk Cousins purgatory scenario this week. Josh Dobbs, shout out to you though. You were down four with one timeout and 40 seconds to play and you fumbled the football off your knee and that was how the Cardinals lost. So Josh Dobbs, good effort by you to get into the Kirk Cousins purgatory category, but we're going to give it to Kirk this week as the, the a great way to kick off the 2023 NFL season is with Kirk Cousins winning the Kirk Cousins Purgatory Award. Um, before we sign off here, two notes that I was planning to get to on the show, but we never uh, found some space for it. Uh, number one, Texas Longhorns are more talented than Alabama. How about that? 
We live in a world now where the Texas Longhorns are more talented than the University of Alabama. And uh, Alabama has a quarterback that is not exactly in the top echelon of college quarterbacks. They have a subpar offensive line, and like last year, their defense is struggling to get consistent stops, even though they do have a good defense. It is not the top-tier defense that was putting five first-round picks in the NFL every year. Uh, That is no longer the case for Alabama, and so Alabama loses at home to Texas in a game where Texas was physically more dominant and just an overall better team than Alabama, and I'm not all that surprised by the results. Texas left points on the board and still won by 10. Texas had fourth downs in Alabama territory twice that turned into zero points. Could have kicked two field goals and won by 16. Could have converted one of them, scored a touchdown and won by 17. Could have converted both of them and got 24-point victories against Alabama at Alabama's home stadium. And now Texas, without Bryce Young at Alabama anymore... They, it is pretty clear that Alabama has not gotten the recruits to stack wins upon wins upon wins, and they are headed for a less than optimal 10-win season for Alabama. For the second year in a row, Alabama might only win 11 games in the college football season and will only finish fifth place in college football seems to be the direction Alabama's headed towards now that they have a home loss against Texas and teams that are as good as Texas left on their schedule. So we'll see what happens with that one. The other thing that we didn't get to that I wanted to at some point, 49ers are pretty good at football. Brandon Ayuk was the person who had been, uh, they'd been saying he's going to be a top five receiver in the NFL this year. Brandon Ayuk went off against the Pittsburgh defense Pittsburgh didn't have a first down until three minutes left in the second quarter. At one point, the yardage totals were 49ers 199, Pittsburgh 1. I still believe that Pittsburgh is going to be a very good team. I thought they would win 10, 11 games this year. I thought the 9.5 line for Pittsburgh was one of those where I was tempted to bet the over. And I think that in this case, the Pittsburgh Steelers are not... I don't want to turn it as quickly as it can, but the Pittsburgh Steelers didn't just like, oh, the 49ers are a very good team and we'll walk away. Because remember, this was the problem last year with the Pittsburgh Steelers. When they went 7-2, and two, well, first of all, their team was just not talented last year. They were 2-6 uh, two and six to start the season, and we did a eulogy for them. Because we do eulogies for as many teams as we can once we recognize their season is over and we don't have to worry about them anymore. It's kind of like a symbolic thing for me of like, I will stop paying attention to this team once we do the eulogy. And Pittsburgh was 2-6. and six. Their season was done. It was about developing Kenny Pickett. And then they went 7-2 and two the rest of the season. I still don't understand how they went 7-2, and two, even though I've tried to understand it. Uh, But those two losses, they gave up, I want to say, 35 points to the Eagles and 38 points to the the Bengals. Uh, There were two rough games uh, that they lost in there. And the rest of their wins were all about their defense. And if I'm pulling up uh, last year's Pittsburgh Steelers schedule, uh, they had the quarterbacks they were playing was like uh, Jarrett, or maybe it was the last game of Derek Carr, but it was Jarrett Stidham. It, uh, I have it right here. So the, the games that they won the back end of the season were against 
uh, the Andy Dalton New Orleans Saints, the Jeff Saturday Indianapolis Colts, the Desmond Ritter slash Marcus Mariota Atlanta Falcons, who only scored 16. They lost to Tyler Huntley and the Baltimore Ravens, then beat Steve Wilkes and, God, was it P.J. Walker? I want to Was that game? Let me see the stats here. Uh, it was Sam Darnold. Okay, so Sam Darnold's Carolina Panthers. They beat them, held them to 16. Jarrett Stidham's Raiders, 10 points, or maybe that was Derek Carr's last game. Then they beat the Tyler Huntley Ravens and then beat the Browns in Week 18. So the quarterbacks they played were... Sam Ellinger, Andy Dalton, Desmond Ritter, Tyler Huntley, Sam Darnold, and Derek Carr slash Jarrett Stidham. Actually, I can see the stats real quick. Uh, it was Derek Carr's last game. Okay, so Der- the game that got Derek Carr benched by the Raiders. And the Steelers won those games against bad offenses. Or at the very least, bottom 10 offenses in the league. They played what might be the most talented offense in the NFL in the San Francisco 49ers, and they got ran roughshod on. The same way that last year they got ran roughshod when the Steelers lost to the Eagles, and the Eagles dropped 35 on them. When they lost to the Bengals, and the Bengals dropped 38 on them. I had those two scores reversed. When they played the Bills, and the Bills dropped 30 on them. Like The Steelers are very good at stopping subpar, off- uh, subpar offenses, and... Not so great at stopping great offenses. And they played a great offense in the 49ers, and the trend continued from last year. And the reason I'm interested in the trends is because the Steelers' defense isn't all that different from last year. I mean, they don't have Devin Bush, but now they have Highsmith, and now they have Patrick Peterson, but they don't have Hilton. So it's just like the Steelers' defense is similar in stature to last year's team, and it seems to be... Over one game sample, which is all we have to work on, continuing the trend from last season. So we'll see what happens to the Pittsburgh Steelers over the next couple weeks, because I still believe that they are a 10 or 11 win team. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for stopping in here to the Take It Easy podcast. It feels good to be back for an NFL Monday. It's been a while to do one of these where we can just throw on the microphones and talk about all the footballing that we saw here during this day and i appreciate you guys for continuing to support uh remember we've got episodes that come out every monday wednesday and thursday occasionally we'll have episodes like our wired up series razor rosenthal joined us for the first time on saturday it was based on his recording schedule i would have loved for him to have been here on thursday but his recording schedule lined up that we dropped the show on saturday so if you want razor rosenthal's gambling advice for the week that will really just happened you can check that out uh, scroll through our database of episodes i'm sure you'll find something that you enjoy here on the take it easy podcast if you want more jimmy garoppolo talk beyond the first win of the season for the raiders you can check that out we've got Tua tug of iloa year four expectations show that came out last monday so if you want to hear more about Tua and the dolphins and how awesome they might be this year you can check that out and we've got talk about clemson mike evans we've got all mike tomlin's pittsburgh steelers we did an episode on them to preview the start of the season mac jones and the patriots we talked about them a couple weeks ago You've got all sorts of fun conversations. Just start scrolling through, or maybe you like these long-form episodes that we do. Just scroll through the database. I'm sure you'll find something that you enjoy in the archives of our podcast, and stay tuned for episodes coming out this Wednesday and Thursday here on the show. I would guess at some point we'll talk about this Mel Tucker 
thing that's going on at Michigan State. We got to do some more research and build out a long form episode. So we'll see if that's one of the episodes that comes out over the coming week. Um, Hope you enjoyed the show. Hope you enjoyed our first NFL Monday. We'll talk to you again on a Wednesday. And in the meantime, take it easy. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.